This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in Internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and it's brilliant as always to be here with you. And I have with me the erudite, Mr. Paul Bindig. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm going great. Thanks, David. I'm really looking forward to this episode of the podcast. Yeah, and I know quite often I say, oh, we're going to do something slightly different, but this is definitely up there as far as different interviews. So we're, we're going to spend uh, some time uh, in this first of two parts talking to Mr. Bobby Cressy. And as you'll hear in this part, Bobby uh, has had an amazing career um, and a significant component of which is his role as the organ player for the San Diego Padres baseball team, amongst other teams. So we're going to devote this first part of the uh, of the interview to talking about how that works. Um, and as non-Americans and not, not having watched a lot of baseball, I've found it fascinating. But for those of you that follow baseball, you'll probably find it even more fascinating. So, Paul, yeah, I think, you know, this, this is a fun one to listen to. Yeah, look, I, I really enjoy American sport. But as as you just said, David, if, if, even if you're just uh, interested in how would that work, how, how would someone play organ live during a during a sports tournament, and and how does that work, and what are you expected to do? It's it's really quite fascinating, even it if is. you're not a massive sports fan yourself. Yeah, no. So we hope you enjoy it. It's, it's well worth a listen, and we'll see you back for part two. Bobby, so brilliant to have you here. And as you can see, in dedication to a part of our topic today, we've gotten in the mood with our backgrounds. That's brilliant. I was shocked when I logged on and saw that you guys had a baseball backgrounds. Although, is that a, that's not a baseball stadium that you're in, is that? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll that? be honest. I did Google baseball game. Um, and if I, yeah, it's a diamond. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Okay. It looks like a, like a, kind of like a soccer yeah. stadium, actually. Or a football, I think you just do weird angle. You know, like American football. But it's just the That's angle. Right. Yeah. All no, right. I really appreciate All it. Right. So yeah. as our guests are here, you've had quite the career in baseball's only one aspect. But I thought we'd kick off uh, just with uh, the usual question of what got you into music in the first place, Bobby? What, what, what was your formative experiences that made you the player you are today? Wow. Well, what got me in in the first place was... I suppose just being around it growing up, um, I had parents who led a choir at our Catholic church. My dad played his acoustic guitar. My mom sang. And uh, so I was always around it, um, playing this, uh, being exposed to that. And they were always listening to things like Peter, Paul and Mary and John Denver and music that's actually like quite boring. <laughs> As I think back on it, I think, man, I wish that uh, we could have listened to some Earth, Wind and Fire instead of uh, all that music. Maybe I would have better feel and time in my playing if I was raised on more of that music. But uh, so music was always around and my my parents were both musicians. I'm, I'm not professional, but not amateur. You know what I mean? Like uh, they were playing at church, but they weren't making money doing it. But um, and then, you know, from there, I guess I all my siblings took uh, piano lessons. Um, but my three older sisters, it, none of them really took to it. Uh, but I did, um, slowly, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. And I remember even early on around Christmas time, uh, my mom was my first teacher and she just taught me very basics, like middle C and it's near neighbors. One of the Thompson, like primary books. 
but I remember digging out my sister's bastion, like level one Christmas. I must've been nine or 10 and it was level one, level two. So it was a bit above me. There was like things in D major with uh, key signatures. And I remember even then being like, Hey, I think I can figure this out and spending hours trying to teach myself how to play these like dead, simple tunes. So, um, I guess I was always, I always gravitated towards the music, um, early on. And then, uh, it wasn't until high school, though, um, when I actually started listening to the jazz station and really starting to think, man, I really would like to know what they're doing. It's something really appealed to me about jazz and uh, classical at the same time. Actually, it was high school, uh, classical music, which was my piano lessons, and then jazz at the same time. Th both of those things came into my life, and I started to kind of go off the deep end with them. And, uh, you know, that's uh, where it started. But then... I reached a crossroads at uh, when I was going off to university. Um, you have to make the decision then. Am I going to go study music or not? And for me, I decided not to study music because as much as I enjoyed it, I didn't uh, think it was, I didn't consider myself serious enough to really know what it was about to study music. And frankly, I, I probably didn't know enough about the various options that I would have had, you know, uh, now that I think about it, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a composition degree or film scoring. Was that even a thing? This would have been uh, 20, 23 years ago, 1999. So, it, you know, if I had it to do, if I could go talk to myself back then, I might've said, Hey, mate, go to music school and study some of these other things. Um, I think I was scared of being a piano performance major. I didn't think I had what it takes uh, to, to do that. Uh, but I, there's many other things I could have studied. So anyway, I went to university for engineering, structural engineering. And, uh, during my time at university, uh, down here in San Diego, music really took over my life. So it was a tough go to finish that degree. And I did, it took me six years uh, to finish an undergrad, uh, engineering degree and which I have not used since, but cause music took over my life in university. And ever since then it's been off to the races, you know, it's just been music nonstop and, uh, you know, you look back and you realize, I guess this is a bit of a career that I'm having now, <laughs> you know, sure I'm is. too far out from the dock to paddle back. So I better keep going with it. Oh, absolutely. It's turned into a career for you. And so we, we're going to cover a lot of that, uh, Bobby. So we will start with the baseball stuff. Um, so you obviously, um, as Paul's background indicates, you play organ for the San Diego Padres. Uh, yes, and you also play for a couple of other teams, the goals and the soccers, which right. um, just clarify that is uh, one of those hockey teams or are they the next step down in the league sort of teams or. That's exactly right with the, the goals is the minor league uh, team for the uh, ducks, the Anaheim ducks, which is NHL. That's like a big, you know, so it's their minor league team and it's down here in San Diego. Great. So uh, you have 3000 or so people at games as opposed to, I don't know, 15,000. Yeah. And so you've done that since 2010. So how did that first kick off? How did you get that gig in the first place? Hmm. Uh, well, the short answer is I, I always say it's a combination of luck and hustle, which if you think about anything that you want to accomplish in life, any of the good things that you've gone for and gotten, it's always kind of both of those things, like uh, right place, right time a bit of, but then you also have to pursue it. Uh, and so that's what happened for me. It was the perfect storm uh, of events in 2010 when I first got that gig. Um, I had just moved back down to San Diego um, and I've been in and out of this town my whole life. I've lived in Europe for a bit as a kid, I lived in L.A. My music career started in L.A., but I just moved back down in 2010 to San Diego uh, where I've been since. And uh, it was because of my wife. Uh, we were dating at the time and I made this big career move down here. But I, I waltzed into town January of 2010 at no gigs, except for one church gig. I got my old church gig back and had a conversation with somebody there. And they said, you know, I heard the Padres are looking for an organ player this year. And uh, when I heard that, as a hungry musician with no gigs, who's always been a baseball fan, a Padres fan, I thought, oh, man, that's a perfect gig for me. Like I, I had such a... Um, I had confidence, uh, just a knowledge. Uh, I knew that that was something I had to do. I had a really good shot of it. And so I uh, somehow, uh, I ended up uh, right place, right time. I ended up at this uh, little kind of fan fest. They do this like before the season starts. The season starts in the spring in April, but it's just in January. They had a special like special super fans kind of meeting at the stadium. Like, come on down and we'll just tell you what we're doing for the upcoming season and 
you know, maybe we'll, you can get some hot dogs and things like that. So there are a few thousand fans there and just part of the stadium was open. And one of the things they said at that uh, meeting, the, the CEO of the team, he said, one thing we're going to be doing this year is having uh, throwback Thursdays, which will be day games on a Thursday. And we're going to bring back a live organist for these. And when, of course, when I heard that, it confirmed what I had just heard from my friend a few weeks ago. Oh, the live organ, they're going to do it. And I knew this was my chance. I was able to walk right up to that CEO, had my card, and I said, hey, I don't know if you have an organist yet, but uh, here's my card. Uh, I'd love to do it. And he said, okay. And then he called over a lady. He said, Karen, come here. Uh, give this to Eric uh, about the organist position. So then I stowed that name into my mind, Eric. Okay, I've got to remember who Eric is. So my next order of business, I go home and I Google Padres front office. And the name that pops up, uh, tons of different names. But uh, Eric Meyer, uh, in-game production. I'm like, that's got to be the guy. In-game presentation, something like that. But I knew that was the Eric. So uh, I there's no number for him. So I phoned the Padres and I said, uh, may I speak with Eric? <laughs> and of course, they're like, uh, well, okay, I hear it. And I, they forwarded me to his voicemail. And so I left him a voicemail saying, oh, you got my card. I want to do this gig. And I proceeded to follow up with them. And uh, every couple of weeks, I'd give them a phone call and I didn't want to be too annoying, but I also wanted to tell them I'm quite interested. Didn't hear from them, didn't hear from them, made a demo tape and sent it in or a, 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 maybe a CD. I recorded myself playing a bunch of organ things. Hey. Uh, and then so eventually I didn't hear from them until about a week before the season. I thought it was they had picked someone else. And it was that lady that I'd given my card to. And she said, hey, yeah, sorry, we've just been slammed getting ready for the the season we'd like you to come down and audition so i was beside myself and they said p.s we don't have anything for you to play so you have to bring something to audition so okay uh but it stands to reason they wouldn't just have an organ they don't have an organist so why would they have an organ so i had my motif <laughs> classic in a case and i think did i bring my i might have had a hammond like a the xk the xm2 the rack whatever the rack was uh, I might have brought all that crap down and I wheeled it across the street to the giant stadium and somebody met me and we went into an elevator, this elevator down this hall. Next thing you know, I'm in the control room for the whole stadium. What looks out, looks out on exactly what your background is, uh, David. That's what I'm looking at. And they said, hey, we'll put you in the whole system. So I set up my rig and what ensued was one of the strangest experiences of my life in music. Uh, they all just looked at me. There was no, well, let's hear what you got or do this. And thinking back on it, of course, that's how it would have gone down. I didn't think of it at the time. I was bewildered at the time. But if only I could, if I had known that, think about this. These were not musicians I was playing for. These are entertainment people. Uh, and how should I expect them to have some kind of script to follow, mm -hmm. you know? So I had to kind of seize the, the the day with it. And I think it didn't go as well as it, it certainly didn't go as well as it could have. It was actually quite strange. Um, and I think that I didn't quite have the right, take the right tack. Um, I think I was trying to come, I dressed really cool. I was doing a lot of gigs in LA, hip hop. I was in my late twenties at the time. I was dressed like, I was playing with hip hop artists like that same year I played with Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, all these people. I was spending a lot of time in L.A. around these young cats in that scene. And I kind of brought that energy and kind of dressed way too cool. I should have had like a nerdy polo on or just like normal dude. What they needed more was like a guy who would work well in an office, the communication skills. So I probably looked strange to them. And I did have to give this impromptu presentation. And I said, well, here are some things you can play. And I played some charges, various dun, 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 things like that. And then I played uh, some tunes. I'm like, hey, you know, people like the Super Mario Brothers theme. And I played that. And then to my horror, as I'm starting this, their attention started drifting elsewhere. Like this is this control room and they all were kind of busy working on stuff. So at this one, some point, I'm like, who am I even playing for? <laughs> so it was very strange. But uh, and then it ended and the lady said, yeah, OK, well, well, we'll, we'll, we're going to make our decision by the end of the week. I got no vibes from her, but uh, sure enough, the next week I got a call back and they were much more chipper voicemail. And they said, yes, we'd like for you to have the gig. 
So that is the long version of how I got that gig. And um, I don't always tell that tale in full, but I figure it's interesting for fellow musicians who have found themselves in situations like this before with auditions or weird chemistry, things like that. Despite all that, I, I ended up with a gig, you know, I was vastly under, I mean, I was confident I could do it, but was I necessarily qualified? No, because how could I be qualified? I've never done that before. Yeah. By the nature of the gig, you know, <laughs> I was I don't have previous baseball organist experience. Who does, you know? Yeah, that, that's an amazing story. And it, 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 I think the, the, the one of the takeaways from there is you, you perhaps think you're not impressing people because they're not reacting in a way you might expect. But but you obviously were because they called you back and went, you're the guy. So that's a, it's a, it's a very cool story. Bobby, can we take a, a step back? Because this this podcast, although the majority of our, our listeners and viewers are US based, we've got a good chunk of people from other parts of the world where where baseball is not as much a part of the uh, the sporting psyche and culture as it is in the US. So I was hoping you could share with us just how important the game of baseball is to people in the states and what how big of a deal it is, and then the role of the the baseball organist and you know why that's so you know the tradition of that and why that's so important as well sure well baseball in america there's the big three um american football really reigns supreme in this country uh these days um i don't like american football for a variety of reasons um, that's not what we're here to talk about but it is in terms of money and the super bowl um it is like the sport and it's it's once a week right it's every sunday for the most part um in the fall they play 15 games a year or so, but uh, behind that, you've got baseball and it used to be uh, baseball probably was more um, the number one sport uh, above even American football. I'd say um, for a few reasons, uh, I think one, because it used on the radio and, you know, it's a great radio sport with commentating and the fact that it's um, I don't know, there's a word for this where it's plays that start and stop. You know, I mean, if you think cricket, it's similar, right? It's very similar in terms of, all right, play stopped. Now we throw the ball and something happens and then the play is stopped again. That also is what makes it so that makes there's there's cracks there to talk uh, for a commentator. So I think it captivated the hearts of Americans um, when everybody had a radio, you know, um, and it's still one of my favorite ways to experience the sport is by radio. But uh, um that's also one of the ways that uh, it became a good sport for the organist, uh, which organ came about in, I think it was in the forties, uh, the Wrigley field, which is where the Cubs play Chicago Cubs. They uh, decided to try out installing an organ and see if that would kind of add some pep to the atmosphere. And it's hard for us to picture now, as we've all been to modern sporting events, uh, with lots of music and lights and sounds and all of this, it's almost like going to a concert sometimes. But uh, in the '40s, there was no way to have music in the stadium. It's not like they would just needle drop on some Glenn Miller or something. You know, it didn't work that way. I don't think I'm wrong in that. You know, maybe as I say it, I realize maybe that's not true. Maybe they did have PA speakers blasting out records but i don't think so and i think that there were actually some tricky issues with ascap and bmi even back then and i know that the very first i've read articles about the very first organ um game that they had organ at he was only allowed to play it was either bmi or ascap one of the two because they had not sorted the licensing out for that obviously they've done that since but something tells me that it was the first time that they had music piped in the whole stadium and they loved it. It's a very quiet experience, uh, the old games, without any uh, music going on between innings and things like that. So it caught on and it became the rage. I'm sure organs followed quickly in lots of other stadiums. And it was a grand tradition in the States uh, in, in baseball through the 60s, 70s, 80s. And then around the 90s, they started implementing more of the DJ um, drops and was the technology made that possible. And the organist fell out of style. It was still very much in in the 80s. Uh, if I watched the Padres went to the 
the World Series in 84. And we had a legendary organist back then. And it is all organist music you hear. And he was playing like Lowry. And it's amazing to hear him make use of those instruments, like all of the bells and whistles on there. Uh, for sound effects as well. So they would utilize, and we can talk about different organist rigs of, of the various organists around the uh, the sport, but they will like utilize lots of things. They'll do sirens and this and that, pitch bend to do sirens, uh, all kinds of goofy things, you know, antics that they use the organ for. So the organ became a real, uh, a way to pep up the games and not just playing tunes. Um, we talked about the way that the game is broken up. There's nine innings in baseball between those innings. You've got some time to do something, um, from a goofy hat shuffle to a mascot running around to playing some tunes on the organ. And, uh, that's, uh, that's what they did. Uh, they used the organ um, to play between innings, but also they found that during the gameplay between each play, they could pump up the crowd with char charges and chants. The simple bump, 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 little cadences and things like that. Shifting the keys, bump, 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 uh, ratcheting up the intensity. And that really uh, caught on. And I don't know the fine history of which exact charges were implemented when there's, there's a name for those. They call them prompts actually. Um, in the, in the industry, they say, Bobby play a prompt here on a foul ball. And that's what that means to play something like that. And, uh, but it worked so well that those stuff suck around. And so that even to go full, full circle with it, even if the organist, but a lot of the stadiums don't have a real organist now, but they'll still have recordings of the bump, bump, bump played on an organ. So it's here to stay in the game, like it or not, at least to some degree. So um, this is a really interesting point you make that I guess these days it's probably easier to, I don't know, press a button or, or you know, have a DJ play some canned music. And you mentioned this thing with the Padres started where they were doing a, a throwback Thursday where they were going back to the more tradition of the live organ player. Is that something that's maybe taking off around the country and other venues as well to, to create that, that, I guess, that more traditional and special atmosphere? I think it had a, it's had a little bit of a resurgence, not a, a huge one. Um, there's a few reasons why. Uh, some of us organists have, uh, I got the gig in 2010. And what happened in 2010 was the, also the advent of social media becoming strong. So some of the organists have, kind of created personas persona is too strong a word uh but uh they have presences online followings if you look at twitter um my friend josh Cantor, he's the organist for the boston red sox and he's he just tweeted out uh the other day his list of all the tunes that he played for requests like 700 tunes this this year that he's played and uh, so i think this the teams have realized oh like this is an asset this is part of the game that some people enjoy. And I think maybe some of us organists have smartly realized like, Hey, if we ingratiate ourselves to the fans, we'll stick around longer because if they get rid of us, the fans will be bummed. That's certainly been my approach. I uh, just from a practical to be, to be happy and to engage with fans and go the extra mile to make them have a nice time. And so there's a means of self-preservation, you know? <laughs> so yeah, there's a bit of a human element. And the other thing that makes the, the people still like about the organ and that helps us organists to stick around on our gigs is um, there are a lot of people who really like uh, the traditional aspect of it. And they feel that it ties them back to going to games as a kid with their grandparents, things like that. Um which is a big part of sporting, I think, uh, tradition, you know, and we all in all of our sports, we always we can think about watching a game with our mom or dad or, you know, when we were kids. So that that plays a part in that. So many people have told me that. So it's, it's cool to be able to do that. But uh, having said that, it's it's still not a slam dunk that there's organists. It's not they haven't brought them back at every um, stadium because it is still a bit of a fringe and niche thing. And it costs extra to pay an extra person or you DJ and an organ, or you just have a DJ and different entertainment directors have different ideas about what they think is good. Some people want to really go heavy noise, hip hop culture with it. And I've just heard, um, I just read a report about uh, one team in hockey and the, the organs that may be an even bigger deal in hockey than it is in baseball. Um, uh, 
this this I forget the team, um, but they had an organist for it's been like three decades or something, and they just cut the organist this this upcoming season for the first time in you know many decades. And why did they do that? Well, basically, you know, the team doesn't have to. They don't have to say much about it. You know, it's it isn't an organ concert. It's a sporting product, right? They're much more interested the team in talking about their players and this and that on field decisions. They're not going to get peppered with lots of questions about the organist. Now, the vocal minority that does bring it up, well, they'll simply say, well, we're going to try something different this year. And that answer is all you'll really get, you know. So, uh, yeah, you know, but I, fortunately, I think that we are st- here to say in some I think our job is somewhat safe, yeah. you know. No, some great insights there, Bobby. And I suppose that's a good point at which to talk about what is a game day like for you? How, how does it start and finish for you as the organ player at a big game? Well, um, you cruise into the game a couple hours early. Um, the gates open two hours before first pitch, an hour and a half before first pitch, something like that. I think it's it's two hours. The the gates open for the fans two hours before the game starts. And so I try to get there uh, just a, a half hour before that. Um, so that's two and a half hours before. And then I'll have a meeting with the production staff. And it's a big meeting. There's the in-game producer. And uh, this is for entertainment. The enter, They call it, uh, well, they, I guess they call it in-game presentation. There's a director. There's a camera director uh switcher there's all the cameramen for the whole stadium are there in this meeting and there's loads of people on different computers for parts of the scoreboard you know this computer will do this part of the scoreboard this computer will do this part of the scoreboard this part this computer will do the Wii uh led they call them ribbons um you can see them in that picture with you david like those little thin ones those are a separate thing and there's different adverts going on them depending on what inning uh, the PA guy doing the in-stadium announcement with the big voice saying batting number three, you know, whatever. He, he's in that meeting. The uh, A1 and A2, that's the Audio Tech 1, Audio Tech 2, the guy who's basically on the mixing board for all of the audio uh, in the stadium. And that's a mixing board for, like, uh, he'll get things on during the game like, hey, uh, the uh, the sound's a little loud in section 225. Can you send someone over there? That guy has to deal with all of that crap. There's hundreds of speakers in the stadium. So they're all in this meeting and I'm a part of it. And they're just running down a script. And uh, the script, I, well, I could show you, I actually probably have one laying around here, but it's like, uh, uh, it's it's a big booklet and it says what's happening inning by inning and before. And, you know, do I don't really need to be at this meeting because I only play, there's a couple specific places that i play once i get the script i know where i play they'll say bobby you're playing the bottom of the third you're playing the bottom of the sixth and then you're playing the seventh inning stretch which the seventh inning stretch is this big tradition where in the middle of the seventh inning everybody gets up and sings take me out to the ball game uh which is a hundred year old tune and uh i play it and i'm on they put me on the big screen and uh it's like kind of my big spotlight moment uh so that's that so that's that meeting and that happens and then i have a bit of time so i'll eat lunch um either in the press box or i'll i might go by there's a lot of really great food there i might just go to a stand and pick something up and then i'll head to my uh organ which they've set up for me uh it didn't used to be that way <laughs> but i've been there for 13 years now i've got people doing things for me now which is great and I'll just make sure it's working. And um, I might run through a couple things. Um, I'm always adding new tunes, you know, so I would say, but I don't have a setup at home to really try them on. And so I'll get there and make, yeah, does this work? Uh, yeah, let's try that. Okay. And then it's sure enough, it's like, I'll play before the game a bit. And then uh, the game starts and um, there I am playing. Yeah, that's amazing. And um and so you mentioned a couple of times requests and also prompts, but let's talk about requests just for a minute. So what's what are some of the more memorable, weird or hardest song requests you've ever had to deal with over that time? Oh, uh, you know, I I I never have a good answer to this question. Um and, and I get asked that sometimes. I should really come up with a good canned answer to this. Um people if they ask me something super obscure, then I probably won't play it. The reality is I don't play a ton of tunes during the game. 
Every stadium uses their organist differently. That guy that I talked about, Josh, who plays for the Red Sox, he plays a lot more than I do, and he plays it every game. And I don't play it every game. I'm actually only there for the day games still, uh, the throwback Thursday thing. It's not just Thursdays anymore, but it is just the day games uh, for the most part. I do do some night games, if the playoffs or um, special occasions, but I'm there. It's a 162-game season. 81 of those would be home games. And I'm there for 20 to 25 of those games. Uh, anyway, so I don't play as many games as as that Red Sox organist that I was uh, saying. He plays a lot of them. He plays every home game. But uh, so for those few that I do, I'm only at about 20 games or so. And I only have a few spots during the game to actually play songs. And uh, so if you request a song at me you know, on Twitter or wherever, it might be too late. I might say, hey, I've already planned what I'm going to play today. And uh, if I can fit yours in, I can. If not, then I won't. And also, um, I don't like to play tunes by ear that I've never tried out before. I have a great ear and I can play. I mean, I'm competent. I can transcribe a tune with the best of them. But uh, I don't like to. There's just too much going on for me to try and think through it and you know, kind of sing it to myself and maybe play through it in my head and just think, okay, yeah, it's a one, a four or five. That's some kind of two, five, one. And oh, there's a bit of a modulation there uh, to, to do all of that mental work. It's just a wee bit too taxing when I have to be uh, paying attention to the game. So I tend to not do requests that I don't know on the fly. Other organists do my, like my friend, Josh, he'll just do it. Like, Oh, listen to it a bit. Okay. Yeah. I'll play that. I, it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable to do that. So, uh, uh, what was I saying? So basically, um, the weirdest request. So if it's esoteric and strange, I probably will just say, sorry, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe I'll fit it in next time. But you know, what usually ends up happening is when people request tunes that I've never heard of, I'll give it a listen. And then I'll be like, Oh, that's a great song. I never knew that that was called that. I, I didn't know the song was by the artist. I didn't know that was the name of it, but that's a great song. I've learned a lot of music because of this gig and the people requ people's requests. People assume as a musician, I know every tune. I don't. There's so much that I don't know. And so this has been a way for me to learn a lot of cool songs, is these requests that I get on this gig. Do you ever, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take this back to my cricket watching experience. Occasionally I'll, I'll watch a game of cricket and that now has a lot of music in it too, the, the shorter version of it. And, the DJ might play, someone might get out and they'll say, they'll play another one bites the dust or something like that. So something a little bit humorous to, to go along with the flow of the play. Is that something that, that you do, Bobby? Yes, I do. Uh, and so that, uh, yeah, another one bites the dust. Now there's a DJ when I play, um, there's the, also a DJ playing. So the DJ has a lot of those queued up as well, but I do like to get a specific uh, with the teams that we're playing. So like, the Dodgers, the LA Dodgers, they're a huge rival. They're in our division. And um, when they come to town, I will play songs like uh, there's a song by the punk band Bad Religion. It's called Los Angeles is Burning. So I'll play Los Angeles is Burning. <laughs> and uh, it's funny to I'll watch the comments stroll in like, whoa, is he actually playing that? <laughs> and it's obviously I'm bagging on them. And then there's this thing where they won a World Series in 2020. And it was their first World Series in like two decades. But that was a strange, that was a COVID shortened season. So everybody says that's a Mickey Mouse championship. That's not a real championship. So when the Dodgers come to town, I'll play the Mickey Mouse clubhouse theme. So it's been, been a way to take a dig at these these, these teams, you know. Um, my friend Matthew plays for the Braves and he plays walk-up music for all of the players on the opposing teams. And he will take every name of theirs, like, and he'll play some tune that riffs on their name. If there was like a guy with the last name of Moon, he would play like Fly Me to the Moon or something like that. Yeah. Clever riffs. And then everyone's trying to guess what he's doing. So, yeah, you you definitely do some of that as the organist. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. That, that had a lot of fun. And, and I guess in the same vein, I I, I watched a, a YouTube review that the uh, looks like the Padres put together and it shows you, you, you actually sit out amongst the fans so they can come and chat to you and interact with you and i assume that's that's still the case and a i think that's great but b i wonder do the do the opposition fans sometimes come up and uh use the opportunity to to i don't know have a bit of a go at you and uh, give you a bit of a hard time it happens a little bit but uh 
usually you just keep it light. You know how sports fans can be, you know, it's some people can get really crazy, man. Like there's fights happening sometimes. And I try not to even remotely encourage that kind of energy. It doesn't serve me well to take serious, heavy digs at fans. Um, I'm working, you know? So yeah, if they give me a bit of a hard time, you know, that's okay. If, if sometimes it pisses me off. <laughs> like if we're getting destroyed and it's like not fun, it's like I may inside be like kind of mad about it, but no, I'll usually just laugh it off or say, Oh man, you guys did great. But they're like, well, last time we got you with this or something. So, but yeah, but it can be a bit distracting and the home fans as well. If, if whoever's liquored up, some fans can be quite annoying, you know, usually they're great and understanding. Some people don't really get the hint. And the other thing that's tricky is I'm working. So I'm sitting out amongst the fans and they will want to talk to me and, and I like to talk to them as well. We'll be having a conversation, but I'm a bit distracted because my job is to watch the game. And if I miss a cue when we hit a foul ball and if I don't play, it's kind of embarrassing. It's uh, I'll get I'm on the headset and the control room will be like, what's the, what's the deal? It's and not a good, look, you know, no, it's not a good look. And as you know, Bobby playing in a range of other bands, there's that classic situation when you're playing a gig and someone comes up and asks if they can play. Do you cop that where people actually want to jump behind the organ? Yes. Yes. <laughs> people will ask that. And uh, usually it's, it's difficult. A flat no with a smile. Um, you have to gauge the situation. A lot of times it's just somebody trying to impress somebody. And um, also it's nobody likes to hear a flat no, but sometimes I'll be like, oh man, like, what are you doing tomorrow? I need you to come tomorrow and play something stupid that you know they're not going to be able to do. And all they really wanted is just to talk to you and have an interaction and that's it, you know? So you can, usually you can deal with it in a pretty you know slick way. Some people don't really get the hint. I've had some people come up to me and ask, like, there's this one organist. He came up to me like last year, this guy walks up to me and he was like, kind of had this attitude. And he's like, how'd you get this gig? You know, they'll, they'll, they'll start with that, you know? And it's like, who are you? Like, what is, who, why would you ever ask that? Well, if you're asking that question in a friendly fashion, it's like they're saying, wow, what a cool job. How'd you get this job? That's one thing. But he was like, it's like he was gunning for my gig or something. Was it like, Steve Winwood? <laughs> oh, you know, I forgot to ask. It might have been him. Um, no, it's uh, I, it turns out this dude like had a church gig. You know, he was like a classical organist and a, he just had a kind of scowl on his face. I'm like, what do you, you know, what's your deal? Like, don't approach me with that kind of energy, no, you know? No. So you do have to deal with all types, but usually it's fun interacting with yeah. kids, you know? No, that's that's one of the things I like about the job. No, that's excellent. And and just in the same vein, most requested song you do cop, Bobby? Well, it's funny because people request loads of different things, but, uh, you know, loads of people will try to say like, hey, play Freebird. And, you know, that's, I don't know how that became the, the song that you request to be a, a jerk. I don't know how that ever happened. Is it was it in a film or something? Because I don't know. But that's something that happens. People say, "Hey, play Freebird," and they're trying to just get a laugh out of their mates or whatever. But and and I always would be like, "That's obnoxious." But then I went and listened to Freebird. And I'm like, "This is actually a really pretty song." <laughs> so uh, I play Freebird all the time. <laughs> like, why not? It's beautiful. It works great. So you know, if they request it like a jerk, I won't play it. But ironically, it, like I said, it's led to me discovering some really cool tunes. Some people will say "Inagata de Vida," and it's like you know, a lot of times when people are trying to request tunes and be obnoxious in person, you know, they're just doing it to impress their friends. So if you can engage with them and with like a gentle put down or make them all feel good about themselves, then everybody gets what they want out of the interaction. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, it's funny, David and I were reflecting on this this interview before you, before you come online and we were saying, I, I, I bet we were thinking probably 99% of people at the sports fans, the, the Padres fans and the opposition fans are probably awesome to deal with. And it's probably that, you know, that tiny, tiny element, which all sports clubs have, unfortunately, that right. take it a bit too seriously or what have you. But um, it certainly looks like fun. So you, you mentioned it before, or, and David mentioned it before, that you, you play also play organ at, at hockey matches and soccer mm -hmm. matches, and you were saying it even you know in hockey the roles it's even more uh, integral to the way the way the entertainment flows. How how is it different your your role when you play at a, at a hockey game or a soccer game versus the the baseball? Well, when I start, I, I got this gig with the Gulls in uh, 2017, so it's been uh, five years, and um, it was a dude who used to work at the Padres, then started working there, and 
I was like, yes, I'd love to do it. I've never watched hockey in my life. So I had to learn a bit about the sport. Still don't know a lot about it. Not like baseball. I grew up playing baseball, but uh, the game, it, it's similar in the sense that there's a lot of, uh, they're stopping and starting. And it's when the stopping and starting happenings that the organ can, can do their thing, you know? Um, but uh, it's a bit more like, it's also a bit more like, you know, your standard, like football match, like European football, soccer, where there's lots of just continuous play and you don't play for that. Uh, but when it stops, there's a lot of fighting. It, it, it horrified me when my first hockey game, it's like, Jesus, they're fighting. Like, yeah, this is part of the game. I, <laughs> it still blows my mind. It's just part of what hockey is all about. But uh, anytime the play stops or starts, there's an opportunity to play a little something. And I'll play a little something under a live read. Uh, but it tends to be more shorter snippets. Uh, it might be more just 10 seconds. And then they'll stop. They'll do what's called a face-off. You know, you know hockey. Uh, and they'll, they'll face off and then they'll start again. And so I might have just 15 seconds to play, you know. So I got to go through loads more tunes, but I might just be going through a small section of it which is different than in baseball. I, if I'm playing a tune in baseball, it's usually for a couple minutes. And this opens up the possibilities because there's a lot of tunes that I would like to play at the baseball games, but they're actually dead boring because it's really more the riff. Say it's a rap tune and people want to hear like, yo, play uh, Still DRE by by Dre. Well, that's that piano riff. Blum, 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 blum. That's the whole tune, right? People like to hear that, but I can't play that for a minute because it gets old after about eight seconds. And uh, at a hockey game, I could because maybe eight seconds is all you have. So I get to play you know, more kinds of tunes there. It's an interesting difference. Yeah, really, really good point. Um, and just at that broader level, as you mentioned earlier about the, there aren't you know a lot of games that have an organist and there are a lot of teams that don't have them either. So from best I can tell, Bobby, there's around nine of you remaining in the U.S.? For uh, baseball, yeah. For baseball, or... sorry, yeah. Gosh, um, I that's ba- that's based on a Wikipedia. That's based on a Wikipedia article. So, oh, I'm, I, yeah, roughly, I, I'm assuming that's right. So, do you guys ever? Uh, it sounds like you you're definitely in touch with some. You mentioned the guy from the Boston Red Sox. So, do you have some sort of you know secret evil cabal that gets together yes. and sacrifices babies? Be... And yeah, no, we've not gotten together. Although I would like to, but uh, we have a Facebook group. Right, cool. uh, it is the sports organist. Gosh, what is it? It's an acronym. This the organist for the uh, Anaheim Ducks came up with it. It's sports organist. I can't remember, but it's it, the acronym is Sonata. S O N A T A. I forget what it stands for. But we have a Facebook group as well. So it's hockey organist and it's baseball organist and hockey organist and and whatever. Uh, so yeah, I'd say in baseball there are thirty teams. And I would say, you know, nine, I think like there's a, a little bit more. There might be about half, but not, you're, you're close. I could think t- team by team and try and That's you know, okay, think about yeah. yeah, I know I'm not going to take the time to do that, but, um, but we certainly all know each other. Some we've met in person, others it's just online. And uh, so my friend Josh, I keep saying my friend Josh, but I met him for the first time. He was out in San Diego in the off season doing a little tour with some artist um and he's gotten to do bigger big things because of his baseball connection there's a couple of the guys in rem that had this band with him what's it called uh it's called the baseball project i think and i don't know what it's all about i think they might be raising money but there's like he gets to play with some big names for some and it's largely based on the fact that he's a he's got this cachet as the organist for the Red Sox, you know, and he's, he's great at what he does, you know, and he's an interesting cat because he doesn't read a note of music. He's got a great ear. Um, he's not, his path in music has been very different from me. He, I don't think he, he's not the type of dude you'd call for a jazz gig or just a sub on a top 40. He's not necessarily a Swiss army, a Swiss army knife musician. Like I consider myself to be, uh, but he definitely like, he just did a gig with Mavis Staples a couple weeks ago. Like, oh, wow. So we all have these various, every organist is different. Some of the guys are, have classical backgrounds in Oregon. Uh, I know the St. Louis Cardinals guy. Um, I see him. It's like, he's doing his Catholic church gig. And then he's playing a big Allen organ at the, uh, for the blues hockey team. And then he's on a Lowry for the Cardinals. And so, I, but I, you know, what else does he do? I don't think that 
he's uh, also a multi-keyboard type guy like that i am you know so everyone's got a different background which makes it very interesting you know that's we right. all have different... yeah yeah and let's talk about the organ itself what, what what is what do you use for a game well when i first got the gig one of the things that i sold myself with was they said oh yeah we don't have an organ will you help us get one and i said oh certainly of course i can do that and they said we don't have a budget really of course, I'm looking around. Yeah, this uh, this uh, billion-dollar business doesn't have a budget for an organ, of course. But, you know, I want the gig. So I said, okay, well, what can we have? A, a couple hundred dollars? Okay. So I hop on Craigslist. I start scouring these thrift shops. And I'm learning a bit about old organs that are not Hammonds. All I really knew about were Hammond organs that I have played in my career as a professional musician, you know? So I had to think to myself, wait a second. Is a B3 an organ that you would actually have at a baseball game? And I had to think through that and do a bit of research. What is the sound of a baseball organ as opposed to a Hammond? Why wouldn't a Hammond work? These are all questions I had to ask myself. And, uh, well, one reason is you you wouldn't have a huge-ass Leslie at a ball game. That doesn't make any sense. And how would you – you would mic it? That sounds like way too much work. And so that was kind of out. But then I thought, but the Hammond still sounds good how could we get a Hammond in there? But, you know, so I'm, I'm sorting through this, all this in my head, but, but then I'm looking at videos and pictures of other organists. Like they don't have Hammonds. They have these old kind of grandma organs is what I thought of them as. And I came to learn a bit about the home theater organ, that the, what theater organs are and just the whole home organ industry, which as we know, if you've been to NAM, it's like, it's the rooms that I never used to go in at NAM, you know, like, oh, this corner of, of Roland at NAM. It's like, oh, why is there a bunch of big old? I, I didn't think of it at the time when I would go to NAM in the early 2000s and see, you know, I was not there to look at these organs. I was there to look at Hammonds and all the other keyboards. But um, now I, then I think back, oh, those were what the kind of ballpark organs are. That's what a Lowry organ is. Organs that have big kind of. How do you describe the tones in these things? They're not, it's not a pipe organ. It's not a Hammond. They're electronic, uh, goofy sounds. And they'll have all the orchestral, they'll have all the instruments like you would have on maybe like a PSR or something. Oh, flutes. Okay. Well, they don't really sound like flutes, but it sounds like organ flutes. Uh, and then they'd have beats and things like them in them. So I learned all about those. And so I'm seeing the cheap versions of these at these thrift stops, but then also seeing new ones cost many thousands of dollars. So... I and learned about what an, a, a Yamaha Electone was. And so I finally found this bloke selling a Yamaha Electone. Uh, it was a, was it a D80, I think was the model. And so I researched it. I saw, okay, this has two manuals and a third mini key manual. And it's got pedals, not a full radial pedal set, but it had like, you know, just the, whatever you call those diving boards, sticky outy one octave or so. Okay, I think I can work with that. And uh, let's go check it out. And he wanted $200 for it. And so I went and I played it at his house. And I thought, okay, this sounds okay. It actually had a little built-in Leslie or just rotating speaker in the, like, you know, below the console. It was built in under the fancy, you know, furniture style uh, fabric. Okay, I think this tone, we can work with it for now. And then I thought, well, we could beef it up if I ran it through a ventilator. Uh, and which we ended up doing, like I bought a ventilator and I would bring it to every single game and I would run this Yamaha Electone through the vent to get some kind of decent organ sound. So that's what I used for many years for, for a decade. I used this Yamaha D80 and, uh, it served us pretty well. Uh, it was limited. The tones were cheesy. If you go back on the keyboard forum, there's threads about this. I don't know if you remember seeing these at the time, but I, of course I appealed to, that incredible knowledge base and everything I just said, I, I asked in this thread, what should I do? Will this be good? And I got some great replies like, yeah, you can do some baseball kind of stuff on that, on that uh, electone you got. And so that's what we did. Well, the electone finally bit the dust uh, three years ago. It was just because I play outside. They wheeled it out every time, put it on a platform and it sat in the sun and baked. And I played it too much wear and tear on a, piece of furniture and the pedal board was starting to become detached so they said bobby what are we going to do we let's get something let's let's upgrade and uh we don't have a ton of money <laughs> but uh 
they more money than last time. So what we ended up doing was we took the console for the Electone. They hollowed it out. And so we still had a cool shell. Uh, and we bought a XK, a, a Hammond XK. Five? Um, no, um, and uh, not, not, not XK5. Um, and it, I didn't mean XK, I meant SK. We bought an SKX. So I had an SK2 and I said, here's what we could do. I have an SK2. It would be cool. I can bring it down and show you how it would sound. Buy the pedals for it. Um, we need a speaker in there so I can hear it. Um, these are little challenges you have to think through. It's like, I want it to be able to produce sound. So we need an app or something for me to hear it. So I said, let's get an EV speaker or something. And uh, gave them all that info. And they took it. And they've got some real electronics whizzes down there because a stadium is a giant electronics project. So they told me, they, hey, we're building it. And uh, they built it in this offseason of 2019. And uh, it was cool. So that's what I play now. It's uh, it's an XK. I keep saying XK. SKX. And it's got the pedals. And um, just probably the Yamaha um, swell pedal. Or not Yamaha. The uh, the Hammond swell pedal. And uh, that's it. And they, they have... I don't know what they're using for the built-in speaker. It's... Um, it's not the best, but at least it allows me to hear myself as, as because I want to hear myself in the stadium straight, as opposed to just from the actual audio, which is on a delay and, and, and gnarly and just in headphones. Uh, so that's the rig. And it's it's not perfect, but it, it gets the job done for me. And it's it's not like one of these fancy Lowry's, which I'm a bit jealous of some of these. And uh, the Roland Atelier is a, one that a lot of the other organists have. Those those sound really cool. And sometimes I wish I had one. And also, I wish I had something with drum beats. This doesn't have that. If you look at some of the other rigs around, you'll see, um, you'll see some Hammonds um, modified. Uh, what's the Hammond that was like a bit of a cool console? Like it was, I think it was Tone Wheel, but it had a bit of a like a futuristic look in the seventies. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Was it like the GM or something? Yeah, oh, rings the bell. I'm hopeless with um, yeah. product. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's. Um, it's a pretty badass looking organ. And I think it had tone wheel, but it also had other stuff. Um, and so I said this one dude that had one of those. And then some of the guys, they'll have a whole Yamaha Tyros. Uh, they'll have a different keyboard for for beats, you know, for, for drum loops. I don't have that. Um, I've thought about, fig- and I'm still trying to figure it out. I would like to incorporate some kind of drum machine um, at some point. Um, I tried with the Gulls. Um, a couple seasons ago i brought just the, a tiny little midi controller with pads on it and then i brought my computer and i brought my um and my computer was just had ableton and i had just a few samples because i wanted to do claps i wanted to go dun, 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 then reach over and go clap 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 on the pad and that was going into my computer and then i was using the eighth inch out of the computer to go into my um radial key largo to give to mix it and then send to the house and I did that and it worked well. And I also had a couple loops in Ableton, like, yeah, well, I can use this loop. But I never really got comfortable. And it was 10x the amount of crap that I wanted to bring to the gig. So I've never fully gotten off the ground with it. So I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. You know? It just shows you that even with roles like that, there's plenty of evolution and, and ability to expand in the role, which is brilliant. And it sounds like you'll be doing that for a while to come. So you can't thank you enough for talking the baseball aspect of your career, sure. Bobby. Um, and that ends part one of our interview. So we'll be back with part two um, in the next week or so.